This is the Duke Tripartisan Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here is your host for the Duke Tripartisan Podcast, Ben Swain. You don't lose football games. You either win or you learn. And uh, Duke learned by a lot of points. 42 to 3 was the final in Atlanta against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the season opener last Saturday. But hey, some good things came out of the game that we'll talk about. But first, I am Ben Swain, and I am your Duke insider for WRALsportsfan.com. In season three now of the Tripartisans, uh, we're doing the podcast, we're doing a column every week. We'll be covering Duke, NC State, and North Carolina, as we've always done. But we're doing a little bit differently this year. We're going to be doing uh, individual shows. So for this, you are stuck with me. I will have James Henderson and Dave Staley on from time to time to talk about some NC State and UNC athletics when the two schools face off. But I will be taking you through this season number one of post-Zion College Sports in Durham, North Carolina, covering the Blue Devils, and and, uh, I'm excited to be here and We'll get right to it. Uh, the last three times a Duke football team has played a top two team in the country, so either ranked number one or number two, the combined score at the end of the first quarter has been 6 nothing Duke, 0-0 against Alabama, 6 nothing Duke against Clemson the season ago, and 0-0 against Florida State. The inevitable ends up happening for sure, but this team, they come in prepared, and uh, they obviously don't lay down to start off uh, start off a game. And, and uh, we learned some things, again, about this Blue Devil team. I wasn't necessarily all that excited about Duke football this year, to be honest. A lot of talent left. Daniel Jones, obviously. Joe Giles Harris and a cast of others. Jake Bobo gets injured in preseason, a freshman wide receiver that everybody was excited about. And he's not going to play. But there are still plenty of players on the team. And David Cutcliffe is still on the sidelines. And... Uh, they earned our attention, I would say, against Alabama, and we'll we'll talk about that. First and foremost, it was a nice reminder that David Cutcliffe can coach football a little bit. And it's also a nice reminder that Duke insiders can keep quiet. The uh, the triple option. Nobody knew it, nobody saw it coming. Uh, it, it certainly caught Alabama off guard, and it really fit the personnel that Duke had in this game. They've got some really good running backs on the roster. Quentin Harris is not going to be uh, a record-breaking quarterback in, in any way, but he'll, he'll be serviceable. But the triple option was a nice little mix-up to, to keep Alabama off balance. And uh, this was something that was put in almost at the beginning of uh, the offseason last year. It has been something that's been talked about around the Duke football program for quite a bit. And nobody spilled the beans on it, which is amazing, because you normally hear uh, as soon as – the bloggers or the recruiting analysis or analysts get a hold of that inside information. It's on the paint site and it's out there for everyone to uh, to view. Um, our our site of choice is the Devil's Den. Uh, they do a great job over there, and, and they knew about this a while ago and, and kept it quiet. And it was a surprise to everybody. But again, it's just a reminder that David Cutcliffe is not afraid to do something different, and that's kind of rare in college football. You think about football coaches and they're, you know, these manly men and we're going to go in there and we're going to put our best against their best and it's going to be a war. And if we're not good enough, we're going to lose. 
No, he tries to do things different, and uh, he'll get it wrong sometimes. There will absolutely be games this year where Duke should win, and they try to get too cute or try to do something out of the ordinary. We saw it last year, a season ago, where just to hand the ball to Deion Jackson and Britton Brown and let them do work. But, uh, you know, tried to throw the ball too much uh, in a few games that ended up coming back to bite them. But going against the grain is something that is hard to do in college football, and it's really something that you don't see a lot of coaches do. So kudos to David Cutcliffe uh, for that. You know, another item that we saw out of this Alabama-Duke game was that the defense might be kind of good, I guess. You know, there's definitely some talent that left a season ago, but there's a lot left over. Mark Gilbert, obviously, still injured, and, uh, and, and he's definitely would make this defense even better. But they did an okay job against uh, the Alabama offense, which is – you know, obviously otherworldly and something that Duke is not going to see a lot of, if at all, this year with uh, Tua Tagliavia running behind the uh, the huge, massive offensive line with all the time that he won. He was 26 of 31, uh, almost shockingly had five interceptions. He had all the time in the world to pick out whoever he wanted. Uh, <laughs> the wideouts, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver of the year a season ago, 10 catches for 137 yards, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. Everyone on that team is just an outstanding wide receiver. And Duke did a good job staying in front of them. You know, they did a good job making Alabama throw underneath and making uh, the receivers make plays. Unfortunately for Duke, Jerry Judy is one of those guys that's going to make a play 100% of the time. Uh, the guy is just a, a freak. And uh, he was a joy to watch if you enjoy college football, but again, for the most part, the defense did a good job. It actually had four tackles for loss, uh, 83 total tackles in the game, led by Dylan Singleton with 13 and Kobe Kwanzaa with 11. Kobe Kwanzaa, obviously, uh, it was a question mark going into the game with an injury concern, but he played and, and played well. He had a sack and a tackle for loss, and again, I mentioned those 11 tackles, five of them solo, uh, but Duke had 41 solo tackles, not a bad effort. Uh, by Duke in that game defensively, even though giving up 42 points, 14 in the first half and 28 in the second half. Uh, that third quarter really uh, set the tone and, and kind of got the game to be uglier than it could have been <clears throat> otherwise. I don't think it was ever really in doubt, and uh, Duke was never going to threaten, but it certainly looked like they were going to cover for a while, uh, but they ended up not being able to cover. But again, I'm looking ahead on Duke's schedule, and I'm not seeing another Alabama on there. Duke avoids Clemson this year. They do invite Notre Dame Fighting Irish into town, who is a top-10 team. Uh, certainly didn't look the part against Louisville uh, last weekend. So so who knows? Duke, Duke may be okay against the competition they've got coming up for the rest of the year on the defensive side of the ball. On the offensive side, man, the passing game was not there. Uh, and and uh, that's going to continue to be a problem all year. We've got some reader listener questions coming at the end of the podcast that we will revisit, but I will throw out Quentin Harris's stats right now. He was 12 of 22 for 97 yards, 4.4 yards per attempt, which is not going to get it done against anyone, especially a team like Alabama. Uh, I will say though, again, the, the running backs, Britton Brown, Deion Jackson and, and Mateo Durant had a good game. 102 yards on 21 carries combined again. Uh, looked strong, looked the part against Alabama. Did not look like they were outclassed. And 
you saw Quentin Harris just looking small out on the field. And again, he, he brings some things to the table that's not impressive size or, or incredible speed. But Brown, Jackson, and Durant certainly did look like they belonged on the field, which is a good uh, thing moving forward. Brown averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Deion Jackson, five yards as well. Uh, they did well, and they actually did. They actually did uh, better than Alabama's running backs. Jerome Ford uh, did have a touchdown, a, a long touchdown of 37 yards, which inflated his average a little bit. But Duke only allowed 3.5 yards per carry for Alabama, which is uh, a, a significant stat against a team like that. Uh, that 12.2 yards against uh, on per play on receiving. That's something they got to cut into, but the, the defense did did okay. But the uh, the run the rushing attack for Duke looks like it might be something that's able to carry them in in a reliable kicking game. Austin Parker had some great punts, flipped the field a few times, had a 57 yarder on his first attempt of the game, averaged 40.5 yards per punt, and AJ Reed made good on his one field goal attempt uh, from 30 yards, so not far out. But Duke fans. No, certainly not to take any field goal attempt for granted, and, uh, and, and he did fine. So when you look at a team with a pretty serviceable defense, a fairly solid running game, and a reliable kicking game, that's typically a, a recipe to kind of outplay or, or outwin what your expected record should be. Duke's going to be able to control the clock in a lot of games moving forward, and certainly reason for optimism there. But I think the biggest thing, the biggest surprise that I had from this game, and that's where I want to spend the most of our time talking about, is they deserve to be cared about. And, and I know that sounds harsh, and, and it's kind of, um, you know, maybe not the best choice of words, but we are talking about college football in North Carolina. This is a college basketball state. There's not a lot of optimism for any college football team, especially at Duke, but, you know, any of our teams, again, it's North Carolina college football, and we're not all that excited about it. Not a lot compelling about this team going into the year. Uh, most people expecting around three to four wins. That's not going to look very good at the end of the year, and it's just not a lot to get excited about. But Duke fought for a half, and then they literally fought in the second half when uh, Edgar Serenor, the, uh, the big defensive lineman, ejected from the game for – Maybe ripping the helmet off of an offensive lineman. We couldn't see that part. He had his helmet off as well, so maybe it was the two of them getting tangled up. And then Serenor decided to uh, Christian Leitner stomp him while he was on the ground, which, again, you know, you, you, you hear the announcer at the time, Brian Greasy, making comments as Serenor is running off of the field and into the locker room, waving his arms and getting the crowd involved. And, uh, and Brian Greasy's making the comment, that's not Duke football, that's – that you can't have all that. That's not how Duke acts. Is that a, a bad thing? I, I'm not sure that that is a bad thing. You know, anytime you hear that's not Duke football, uh, and, and maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the new battle cry instead of Duke football. Hell yes, it's Duke football. Is this isn't Duke football? Maybe that'll get people uh, a little bit more excited about it. But it was good to see emotion. It was good to see Duke invested in that. Not a good thing for a fifth year player to get ejected from the game, obviously, and. It did change the game after that. Serenor was doing a good job stuffing that run up the middle, forcing a little bit of pressure on, on Tua back there. But uh, after that, it was pretty much easy pickings for Alabama when he went to the locker room. Uh, Bama scored a quick touchdown. Then uh, Britton Brown fumbled. Bama recovered and then scored pretty quickly after that. And then the floodgates 
were open at that point. And you, you do wonder if it had been a little bit different if Sarah Nord's still on the field. But at the very least, man, you like to see a little bit of fight and uh, a little bit of attitude and edge that you didn't expect otherwise. And maybe that's something compelling about Duke that we didn't think was going to be compelling at the beginning of the year. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's pretty much the big takeaway from Alabama. Again, it was never going to be a game that Duke was going to challenge in. Uh, there were plenty of opportunities for moral victories, and I think you can argue for or against either way. But the big thing for me was just learning something about this Duke team. There's so many mysteries heading into the season, a lot of new faces, a lot of new positions. Uh, a new quarterback is obviously going to change the offense considerably. And uh, we, we learned a little bit about this Duke team moving forward. And we're probably not going to learn a ton next weekend uh, against North Carolina A&T, although that is a very good football team. It's sort of the same thing, just the resources that Duke has, the number of athletes and the, the, uh, the depth on that roster is probably going to be a very similar game to Duke Alabama, where A&T, again, a talented starting lineup is probably going to keep it close to begin with, and then Duke will, will pull away uh, at the end, and we probably won't learn a lot about them then. But at least we know a little bit more about the pieces. Duke's going to rely heavily on their running game, or at least they should. David Cutcliffe is not afraid to try some new things and, and be different and, uh, and, and keep people guessing, including, our, including Duke's own fans, uh, to be able to know what they're going to see week in and week out. Uh, and the defense is going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, some, some talented players there, some good game plans, and that little bit of edge or fight that we saw with, with Edgar Serenord in the, in the second half, it'd be interesting to see that develop in more constructive ways than getting yourself kicked out of a football game. But at least it was nice to see. Uh, one basketball note in case you are not as compelled as I am by the 42-3 outcome, five-star recruit Walker Kessler is on campus this weekend. Uh, for his second official visit to Duke. Keep an eye on that one to see if it transpires with the hurricane uh, and, and if there are any impacts to Durham uh, in that trip. But obviously that's secondary to the big story with the hurricane, and I hope everybody out there that's listening that is going to be impacted by this be safe and, uh, and, and make smart decisions. This is a new podcast format uh, for me. You can hear me again every day on 99.9 FM, The Fan, uh, from 10 to noon on Sports Channel 8, the radio show, where we've got you know five, six guys on that show. And uh, it's a conversation show. We do a lot of interviews. I will have some guests on here occasionally, but for the most part, it's going to be me and you guys. And, and I do want to keep it interactive. I'll continue to put out uh, some solicitations for questions or, or comments or observations that you have on Twitter. And I want to read them on this show and make sure that we put you out there as well. Uh, because being a Duke insider, uh, I know about as much as you do. And uh, we want to take advantage of that. So we're going to do this interactively and we're going to continue uh, trying to figure out our way through this format and, uh, and make it as entertaining and informational for you as possible. So continue that, that great feedback as we go. Some comments that we got from the Alabama game at Duke FB fans on Twitter. Uh, what's your thought on the passing game? Had a couple dimes to Calhoun and one to Bracey 
but two interceptions. Realistic passing yards per game this year, less than 150, 150 to 200, or 200-plus yards per game. I would say, realistically, you'd want to look in that 150 to 200 yards pass, uh, passing yards per game, uh, not because Quentin Harris can't connect for a 300-yard game. I cannot remember how many yards he had in the Baylor game last year, but he filled in pretty admirably in that game, and, and, and Duke was able to uh, do a lot of positive things in the passing game in that game. But, man, with those three running backs, just hand the ball off. You know, Don't overthink it. Just hand the ball off. And uh, the, the passing game should be a lot of play action, a lot of surprise deep throws, but it should not be what we saw for the past three, four seasons with Daniel Jones where he's, or three seasons, excuse me, with Daniel Jones where he's dropping back in the pocket and, uh, and trying to hit receivers on short crossing routes or quick outs or 10-point passing and, and hope that the receiver makes a play. It's going to have to be a deception-based passing game for Duke to be successful. So I think that 150 to 200-yard threshold that you gave me there uh, at Duke FB fans is the way to go uh, for picking this uh, as a prediction. I, I'm glad that you mentioned Scott Bracey because this is a guy that has been completely invisible during his time at Duke, even though he came in as one of the most heralded recruits that Duke has had in a while almost the offensive Vince Ogabasi, if you will, where uh, everybody wanted him, came in, he was a big name, and then just hasn't necessarily lived up to that billing for one reason or the other. He, he mossed a guy. He absolutely mossed a guy in the Alabama game. Uh, Quentin Harris threw the ball up on the sideline, and Harris, uh, I'm sorry, Bracey went up and got it. And, uh, man, if that continues to happen, that's, that, that's enough to see a wide receiver uh, make a play like that and wonder if he's got it in him to have a breakout here. Obviously, he's being hounded by one of the best defenses in the country year in and year out. And unless your name is Clemson, you're not getting a lot of separation against those guys. So uh, it was nice to see Scott Bracey go up and, and, and moss the guy on, on the catch. He had another catch in the game. And then had a, uh, a third target that was memorable where he almost, again, went up and got it on, on kind of a bad throw. Uh, but, but, man, it's nice to see Scott Bracey getting involved in the offense. Uh, I know everybody was eager to see Jake Bobo, and, and maybe he'll get out there. His, his injury is an indefinite injury, so he's not ruled out for the season. And uh, keep in mind, we won't get a lot of details on injuries this year because college football coaches are not required for league games or otherwise to give injury reports. And so uh, that's not something that we'll hear. If Bobo does come back, it'll be just a surprise that uh, we'll hear that he's been practicing and that he's going to play, but it's not going to be something that will get uh, frequent updates like we do in the NFL. Although we got to be close to that with college, uh, college football betting being a, a lot bigger of a deal this year and a lot more mainstream than it has in the past. Uh, maybe that's something that we'll see. But Scott Bracey definitely showed some signs of being uh, an encouraging wide receiver and interested to see where he goes from there. At Chris Bunn 21, that's two N's, Chris B-U-N-N 21, and I definitely want to make sure that I get out there. He hosts an excellent podcast for the Devil's Den, uh, and he's got a question about going back and forth on this, but should the passing game have performed better against Alabama? And I think so. I mean, I think you're a Division I football team, you're a Power 5 football team, 
Alabama's weakness is the secondary. And again, their weakness is a top 10 secondary in the country. But if you're going to find a hole, it's going to be their secondary. And it's not like Harris had, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of time to, uh, to, to operate. Alabama only had two tackles for loss, one sack. Again, Duke had four tackles for loss and one sack. <clears throat> so it's not like Quentin Harris was back there being rushed uh, quite a bit. He had some time to get his feet set and maybe find some uh, receivers somewhere uh, for a quick gain. But again, those stats, 12 for 22, a 23.3 quarterback uh, rating from ESPN.com with those two interceptions. That's not going to cut it in, uh, in a competitive game for sure. And it def- definitely didn't cut it against Alabama. And I think it's fair to expect more, even though uh, it is Duke and it is Alabama. <coughs> I think you can expect more out of your quarterback in that game. At Duke underscore 526, that's the number five, the letters T-O and six, at Duke underscore 526. For Duke to win meaningful games, does Holmberg have to start? That's backup quarterback, uh, freshman Gunnar Holmberg, who uh, has got a little bit of injury concerns himself. Um, he's been described as not being physically ready to be out there in terms of size and strength, but he's got some tools that he showed off in high school here locally that reminded a lot of people of Daniel, Daniel Jones, and he's, uh, he's definitely going to be the future of the quarterback position at Duke. And I think it's a little bit of a trick question because – Again, you're talking about meaningful games. I'm not sure exactly what a meaningful game is unless you mean meaningful enough to get to six wins to get to another bowl game. I think we'll know more uh, in this weekend to see how Quentin Harris does against NCANT in a game that she, he should have plenty of uh, time and space to make good throws. Middle Tennessee State after that. Uh, again, a tough team, but a team that, that Duke should win. I think we'll know more about Quentin Harris in those two games than we did against the Alabama game. I'm not sure Gunnar Holmberg would have looked any better uh, against Alabama. And I think he probably would be in that same boat that we should have expected more of him and he didn't, didn't perform. But uh, yeah, I think it's tough to, uh, to find meaningful games on, on Duke's schedule or really any ACC, ACC team schedule. Uh, if you're talking about meaningful in the grand scheme of college football. But if you're talking about meaningful like Duke beats Pitt, Georgia Tech, and uh, Wake Forest to be able to become bull eligible, it's it's a fair question to ask because Quentin Harris did not look great against Alabama. But again, maybe let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt that it was Alabama and let's see how he does against to uh, mortal teams in NTANT and Middle Tennessee State over the next two weekends before heading to Blacksburg to take on the Hokies. The last one at Bleed Blue 1128. His big concern was Deion Jackson was obviously the biggest threat on offense, but only gave him nine touches. He doesn't think that's nearly enough. I think that's one way to look at it. Again, you've got three very capable running backs. Britton Brown is a special player. Deion Jackson is a special player. Mateo Durant uh, has size and speed and looks that he could become that special player. Um, and, and I don't know how you even pick out a, a running back one or a running back two, but maybe a better question is, did the running backs get enough touches? And again, the score kind of dictates that 42-3 to three Alabama over Duke. 
Uh, but if we're looking at the, uh, the passing stats, 22 pass attempts uh, for Duke in that game and 32 rushing attempts with twin, 10 of those being by Quentin Harris, uh, either in the triple option or uh, trying to make a play with his legs. So 21 touches overall for the, for the three running backs, 22 passing attempts, um, and only looks like two targets or four targets out of the backfield for those running backs. I would get the ball to those guys as much as possible. I would even have two of them in the game at the same time, throw one of them out in, in a pattern, hand the ball off to the other one, uh, go play action and use them as much as you can. So I'm not sure that I'm with you there, Bleed Blue, 1128 on Deion Jackson needing uh, more touches or even being the biggest threat on offense. I think he's kind of 1A and 1B with Britton Brown. Uh, and nine touches for a guy like that is probably not enough. You'd want to see a little bit more from those two workhorses. But again, it's one of those things like uh, like in tennis, you know, you're down you're down five one in a game. Do you expend energy to try to come back and win that set, or do you save energy to try to win the next set? That's what Duke was up against with Alabama. You know, do you absolutely run your best players into the ground in that game, get them injured? Uh, we did see see Britton Brown uh, get banged up. He thankfully did come back in the game and. All signs point to him being available for the NCANT game. But, uh, yeah, in a, in a game where uh, it's Duke against another ACC opponent, I, I think you'd want to see those three, those three players getting a lot more touches. Deion Jackson being one of them. He's, he's, a, he's a speedster for sure. He had a big touchdown against Miami a season ago. And, uh, and, I, and I would like to see him touch the ball more. But I, I'd like to see Britton Brown touch the ball more as well so again i am ben swain i will be your duke insider for this season on the tripartisan podcast on wrelsportsfan.com you can check out my co-workers dave staley for unc and james henderson for nc state on a similar podcast uh, you can subscribe to all three and keep your eyes on wrelsportsfan.com for our columns throughout the week And uh, we look forward to joining you there. And uh, also come join me weekdays from 10 to noon on 99.9, the Fan FM on Sports Channel 8, the radio show. But I do look forward to continuing to spend time with you, specifically talking Duke sports all throughout the season through the NCAA tournament. And we'll follow Duke uh, basically wherever they go. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Ben Swain. Send your questions and uh, your observations about anything Duke-related, and we'll throw them on the show, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about them. So, again, thank you for joining me for Episode 1, and uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Duke Tripartisan Podcast with host Ben Swain. Don't forget, there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sportsfan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Duke Tripartisan Podcast.